Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Hey folks, and welcome to The Prestige, a podcast for film lovers by film lovers. Each episode, we pick a film, we talk about that film, we discuss some ideas and themes that film throws up. And as always, we end the show with our further watching, further reading, movies inspired or related to the movie of the week. But we always start with what else you've been watching. And normally this is a catch up on the last week, maybe two weeks of things. But Sam is back, which means... Hurrah, first of all, hurrah. Uh, but secondly, we've got several months to catch up on. Now, you are, as I say, not a new dad, but you have a new a new child to look after. So maybe it's been a lot more, less movie watching than normal. But in the last two and a half months, have you got anything that you've seen to mention? Well, actually, yes. Hi, everyone, by the way. Because I'm doing night feeds at the moment, or sort of late evening, early night feeds, um, I'm, I have sort of nine till one ish on my own each night so I can, I can watch stuff. And Luca is generally asleep. Um, so I shouldn't, shouldn't mention names. Anyway, my son is, his son is generally asleep. Um, so I've got a number of things that I've watched over the past couple of months. Um, a couple of documentaries, not particularly interesting if you're not me. Um, but a few things I did want to mention. One of them is um, a series featuring the protagonist of this week's film, Logan Lerner. Um, and I didn't know I hadn't seen this week's film before, so I knew nothing about him beforehand. So that was my back to front introduction to him. There's a series from 2020 called Hunters about Nazis in the USA, which was. I think 10 episodes long um, and it was absolutely brilliant for nine episodes nine and a half episodes and then there was a twist towards the end and that was great and you thought well okay this is not the best thing ever made but still pretty good and I've enjoyed my time with it and then the last half of the 10th episode was utter drivel <laughs> and it's just terrible there's I'm not going to give this away, but there are two twists towards the end of Hunters, and one of them is brilliant and is sort of to do the subject matter and you don't see coming, and it's really fun. And then the last one is just terrible. And it was so bad that I felt annoyed with myself for wasting 10 hours watching it. <laughs> uh, so I do want to talk about a couple of other things. Um, and they, they're they linked because of the way in which they're shot, the editing style. And the fir- firstly, I decided to re-watch the Ocean's Eleven series, the George Clooney one, the more recent one. Um, and I just, I think Ocean's Eleven is a brilliant film. I, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's an amazing film, I wouldn't say... I don't know how to put it. I've got films I quite, would quite happily rewatch because they're enjoyable, not because they're absolutely amazing. Mm. And I would put Ocean's Eleven in that. I think it's a really fun film. And what contributes to the fun is the way that it's shot. It's a really sort of animated, jerky, um, 
it's at times it's almost like a music video the way it's put together and i i really like that um kind of less so in oceans 12 and oceans 13 when they try and do the same gimmicks in terms of shooting and also subject matter and they're not great at either of them so it's the law of diminishing returns as that series goes on i felt the anyway the first installment it's utterly brilliant from 2001 in comparison to that is a show called new amsterdam that i've been watching started in 2018 that used the same sort of jumpy energetic dynamic editing style and yet is completely terrible and i find myself hating myself for continuing to watch i continue to watch it because it's such such a gorgeous visual experience to look at the editing and the music and it just everything about it looks brilliant aesthetically brilliant but it's just terrible <laughs> and so i i hate myself for continuing to watch that but I, I am continuing to watch new amsterdam at the moment so that's what i'm doing with my four hours a night i'm binge watching that how about you the past couple of months well i have been on a deep dive so i'm not going to talk about all the details of it um but a few weeks back, I caught, I watched the film from, I think from last year, 2019, uh, from director Ryan Johnson, Knives Out, which is, he did Star Wars, um, he did The Last Jedi, which I really loved, but a lot of people really hated, and he kind of went away and came back and made this, which is a, many ways a throwback to an old school murder mystery movie about a private detective investigating the murder or possible suicide or death of a... Um, a patriarch of a family. It is brilliant. It is one of the cleverest and well-structured movies I've seen in a long time. I can't too, talk too much about it because by its very nature, it is a twisty-turny plot and there are reveals and that stuff to it. But it does some very interesting things with the genre of murder mystery and the genre of crime movies in merging those two things into one. Um, I'm being very vague here. I know I am, but I can't avoid that in terms of spoilers. But if you haven't seen it, I would just strongly recommend it. It's one of the best films I've seen, like new films I've seen in a long time. This has led me to go into like a weird deep dive into murder mysteries. So first of all, books, I have, there's a Kindle series um, called the DSI Ryan series, DSI Ryan series. Um, and I've read 10 of those books in the last two weeks. Um, and as we've objected many times, I'm not a, the world's biggest reader. So 10 books in two weeks is pretty hardcore for me. Mm. Um, and movies. So I've watched some of the old Poirots. I've watched some, I watched Clue, which is a brilliant film. Um, and I watched the other one I mentioned is Sleuth, which is a Laurence Olivier, um, and Michael Caine two handed movie. Once again, very twisty turny, very murder mystery inspired, very, very good. Two powerhouse actors sort of at the top of their game doing such clever work with each other. There was a remake. It's not as good. Don't worry about that one. Um, but yeah, my Knives Out and Sleuth are my two recommendations. And I'm sure I will continue down this vein of more murder mysteries as I go forward. It's just, it's my current obsession. My wife saw Knives Out um, for, I suppose we haven't mentioned the fact that the world has turned upside down. Um, before lockdown started, my wife saw Knives Out and said it was brilliant. And I I'm yet to get hold of it. Is it on? Is it streaming somewhere? I believe so, but offhand I don't know where. I'll have a look. We are continuing with our series on the high school film, which started several weeks ago. 
possibly even several months ago. And we've got to 2012 in our mini-series. We're talking about the perks of being a wallflower. Dear friend, I haven't really talked to anyone outside of my family all summer, but tomorrow is my first day, and I really want to turn things around this year. You know, they say if you make one friend on your first day, you're doing okay. Hey, freshman toast! Look at him! Come on, hop! Let's move it, boys! If my English teacher is the only friend I make today, that would be sort of depressing. Charlie, this is what fun looks like. Welcome to the island of misfit toys. Do you like football? Love it. Aggressive! Passive! Aggressive! What is she doing? Don't worry, she does it all the time. Do you think if people knew how crazy you really were, no one would ever talk to you? (laughs) Come on, let's go be psychos together. So what are you going to do when you get out of this place? I really want to be a writer, but I don't know what I'd write about. You could write about us. Call it Slut and the Falcon. Make us solve crimes. (laughs) (laughs) D-minus, ladies and gentlemen, I am below average. Below average! Below average! Why do I and everyone I love pick people who treat us like we're nothing? We accept the love we think we deserve. You see things, and you understand. You're a wallflower. I didn't think anyone noticed me. I know there are people who say all these things don't happen. I know these will all be stories someday. But right now, we are alive. And in this moment, I swear, we are infinite. Perks of Being Wallflower is a sort of coming-of-age drama film, a Berlin's Roman sort of film, written and directed by Stephen Chbosky, who wrote the original source material. And the source material, the novel, was based on Chbosky's own experiences at high school. So um, this is sort of loosely rooted in reality, although he didn't, he didn't take everything verbatim. It stars, as I've mentioned already, um, a young Logan Lernan who turns up again in Hunters this year. Um, it also stars Emma Watson in possibly, I think, certainly a first big role after the Harry Potter franchise. And Ezra Miller in very good sort of semi-co-starring roles, semi supporting roles as Sam and Patrick to Logan Lerden as Charlie. It's about Charlie's experiences at high school. Um, he is a fresher in high school, just starting high school while Emma Watson and Ezra Miller are in their final year. And it's about how Charlie um, comes to be part of their friendship group, but also has rather darker strains in it than I'm sure we'll talk about as the 
as the episode goes on, so Charlie has had experiences with mental illness and traumatic experiences in his past, and there are various flashbacks as the film goes on. It culminates in a depressive, almost psychotic episode towards the end of the film. So, Rob, what are your thoughts on Perks of Being a Wallflower? Well, this... I mean, I'm, I'm not going to bury the lid a little bit, guys. I'm not going to talk about my actual thoughts on the film just yet. I'm going to tell my history of this film. So I have seen this film before. Uh, this, is, this isn't one that I'm catching for the first time. And the first time I watched it, didn't care for it. Just didn't care. I watched it. I thought, well, that's, it was fine. It's fine. You know, it's you know, upper class white kids being sad. It was just, I just didn't care. Um, and so I kind of went into this with a little bit of trepidation, thinking, oh, I've done before, you know, it's not, it's not my thing, but, you know, here we are. and. This film was a revelation to me. I absolutely adored it. It just—it was just brilliant from start to finish. Um, Sam and I, in the past, have often talked about the fact that we don't tend to watch movies in one go anymore because of childcare and lives and things. This one, I stayed up late to finish off. I watched it all in one go, and it really, really hit home for me in a way that it just somehow missed me last time. I thought that the—I mean, the acting is precocious and it is very not teens acting like teens, but the story and the portrayal of Charlie and the way the movie, the film itself frames and deals with Sam and their relationship and um, Patrick's relationship with them. And the idea of film or his high school films as nostalgia rather than experience, which I'm going to unpack a little bit more later, is something that really hit home for me this time. Um, so yeah, I, for me, absolutely brilliant movie. Absolutely hit her home every single way. I can see people don't like it, but for me, it was big tick. What about you, Sam? Well, I also really enjoyed this film. Um, I wasn't really expecting to. I, I suppose I kind of knew that it was, I think there, there was quite some fanfare about it around the time because it was Emma Watson on, on a new direction. Um, but I generally sort of dismiss it in my head as being something quite ephemeral and not something that I wanted to engage with. And it was, it was brilliant. Um, and it was brilliant in reflecting the experiences of Charlie at high school, um, the senses of isolation and yet also togetherness of high school. Um, at the same time, it was. Pleasingly dark sounds sounds wrong. Um, I just realistically dark. Realistically dark. There we go. Not not pleasingly dark. I I just I I appreciate realism in a film, and I I like that. So the the moments of and yes, like you said right at the start, it's sort of rich white kids being sad, but there are proper motivations for sadness, and mm. so like. I, not even the the main story of this, but sort of the story of Patrick and Brad and not being accepted for his sexuality and and not being accepted by Brad at school and the relationship between Brad and his father was really and I I was really touched by that um, in a way that I wasn't expecting to be affected by this film. Yes, I really liked it. Yeah, I think I mean. I kind of want to explain more of what I mentioned earlier about experience versus nostalgia. Now, our last film we talked about um, was Centurions. And Centurions isn't a nostalgic film. It is aimed at the people the film is about. 
Um, it's about it's, it's aimed at that kind of maybe slightly out of the market, but like you're, it's not designed to evoke memories in a way that this is, and the way that Days Confused is, and that kind of thing. And the period nature of the movie, just for me, I mean, we were teenagers in the nineties. This, this was our teenage years um, in many ways, and I think the film dealt with that and that feeling of alienation that everybody has i don't think there's anybody at some point because you're going through that kind of child to adult phase um through high school um that everybody goes to that slight alienation even the most popular kids in the world have a moment of trying to work out who the hell they are now mm. and dealing with that and that feeling of loneliness amongst friends and i think those things are universal experiences because no matter how good friendship groups are you know sam and i've been friends for a long time and we had a good group of friends at school there's always going to be rifts. There's always going to be a moment when you feel like you're on the outside of something or that they're all doing things and you're not because that's the nature of life. And that's the nature of becoming who you are and trying to have the people who you care about, your friends, understand who you are. And, you know, there's that, that phrase that friends come and go. And part of that is because as you grow, you change. People change as they have life experiences and they change as they experience new things, new people. And high school's a lot of that. So your early school friends, you're all different people when you leave. And to maintain those friendships as you all change is a thing that it's hard sometimes. And it can lead to fallout and friends coming and going, people changing. And this film to me nailed that feeling of like, he has friends, but he still can feel isolated. It can really kind of, you get that idea of a nation as being this outside despite being in um, a high school. But I think one thing that, that I really like about this movie is that I think it is self-aware of the genre it lives in. And not in like a metatextual, it's poking fun at it way, kind of things like Scream. It's not like that. But the thing that really hit me is that the first half an hour of the movie, within half an hour, we have had a football game. We have had homecoming dance. We have had him finding his friends and getting in with them and taking drugs. And this feels like a whole movie in itself. Like, we've hit these big milestones of American high school movies, of a the Friday Night Football game. You know, these kids who are, you know, alienated and separate from the rest of the society still good football games. And it does all these things. And then you've got two hours of movie afterwards to dive into this stuff and deal with the fallout of falling in love for the first time and kissing them. And, like, the kiss that comes with Sam, like, in other films, that could be the end of the movie. But here it isn't because it then goes forward from there and... You know, him and Sam, like, they have moments here and there, but I'm very much not knocking the vibe that they end up together. It's not about them, him falling in love with her and them becoming a couple. It's about him, I suppose, falling in love with himself and becoming somebody he's happy with. Um, and I really like that in this movie. They kind of did all those the big, big sort of big uh, headline high school pieces and then kept going. I see what you're saying about him, but it, it is not about... This is why... I suppose it is what I was struggling with whether or not um, Patrick and Sam are co-starring or supporting, and mm. they're not because you're right that the relationship between Charlie and Sam is not the defining relationship at all, and him falling in love with her is not what this film is about. It is him trying to work through the experiences of his past and um, having a healthy relationship to who he was at seven and what happened to him before what happened to him between him and his art so this is me trying to avoid spoilers 
Um, you should go go and watch a film if you haven't seen it. Um, so it, this is about this is much more about his experience of being abused by his aunt mm. and also then feeling guilty for her death. And it's really not about Sam at all. It is. <sighs> It is about there's that exchange right at the very end when well not not the very end but when they get together um, when he says when she says to him like you you can't just I don't know how to how to phrase it it's tired and I have too much for a baby um, I know what you're saying he does I can't remember the line reading exactly but it's like you can't keep living for everybody else that's it yes you can't can't just being here for everyone else. And- be something. I think, I mean, we both talked about not getting into it previously. And I think one of the things I found the first time is that he's a bit of a blank slate. Mm. And that was hard for me. Like I didn't, I did, first time around, I can't, I didn't see what it was doing. It's about him not becoming that. But that's the journey is the, him not becoming a blank slate and becoming something. And Sam is part of that. And that line is part of that. Yes. Yeah. And it feels like, other high school films, other films, other romantic films that are about a couple getting together, whether mm. they sort of drift apart and then come together, or however you, you want to play it. it. It's all, when they do get together, things are resolved. Mm. And things aren't resolved with them getting together here, because as she says to him, look, you can't sublimate yourself to other people. You can't keep living for other people. You have, you have to do what you want. And that really, really spoke to me. And that showed me that Logan Lerner, this, this film is all about Logan Lerner and his experiences before he gets to high school. And mm. it's not necessarily about his relationships with the two people he meets. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's, I suppose that's the, the, the crux of that high school movie experience. It is the interaction with people. It's him meeting his teacher. It's him meeting his friends. Mm. And I think, I mean, Sam is a character that I think is brilliant in this because the, f- the thing that I really loved is the very first shot of Sam you see is at the high school game. Um, and it is lit in like this wonderful, beautiful way where you've got these giant bright sort of football stadium lights and she's right in front of them. And so you get his POV at her. It's one of the very few POV shots in the movie. Um, and you get his POV at her and she's sort of backlit with this sort of halo around her head. Very angelic. It's like an old school beauty shot, but in the midst of this kind of realistic high school movie. And Sam, like I like Sam in this movie, um, but she's very, I don't know what the word for it is, because everywhere I think of sounds bad, but she's a bit like a blank slate for him to project onto. Like she's going to university, but we don't really know what to study. Um, she's like involved in other people's things. She's involved in the Rocky Horror stuff. Um, and she likes music, but then everyone likes music. And she isn't like defined in the way that the other characters in the group are. Like Matt Patrick has a very defined character, as are Mary Louise. And, and other characters have a very clear definition. Emma is a bit more, he projects onto her. And, and this is not a bad thing. This isn't like a, 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 a manic pixie dream girl trope style thing. But she is this kind of ethereal beauty in his life. This kind of fi- fiery, intense first love that we all go through. I think, you know, talked in the past on the show about teenage years and that kind of first flush of obsession and love that everyone kind of goes through um, in this. The thing that I really liked about this movie, and I don't know whether this was me coming to it with the experience of the movie, is that I was kind of waiting for it to fall apart. Mm. Um, like, there's some really happy stuff and really beautiful like emotional stuff, but much like um, Charlie, 
there's this undercurrent where I've seen these movies before. I've seen movies before. I know that at some point, something's going to go horribly wrong. And it does, and there's still some hope and joy in that. But you ha- I always through, I'm like, I'm waiting for this to go wrong. I thought it was the um, sort of the kiss in The Truth or Dare, and it was more than that. But, you know, like all the way through, I'm like, something's going to happen. Because I'm, I've seen enough films to know it's going to happen. I, I did think it was that, that truth in there, things coming to a, to a head. That, that was going to be the moment when things went wrong. And it was, like you say, things do go wrong, but it's kind of reassuring. And it's a bit lovely that they fundamentally don't. And I was thinking, like, even the very beginning, like, I mean, there Every, everyone is horrible to him when he first goes to school. Mm-hmm. But there's something wholesome, something lovely about the relationship between Charlie and Sam and Patrick. And it it just, it doesn't have, it, I don't know, it, I've talked about realism already this week, that there's, it, it doesn't have to be, they don't have to join in with the sniping or they, they mm-hmm. don't have to be part of, this experience doesn't have to be an edge to their relationship. They're, they do have a genuinely lovely relationship. I think that's, I mean, that's where I liked, I mean, we kept the of, of realism, but this movie is that friends happen like that. You know, like at school in that age group, you just, you meet someone in your friends and you just click in a way that becomes increasingly harder as we get older and more busy. And also the whole fallout with the truth or dare is that, you know, these things when you're a teenager, they are huge, but also over times. They mm. just they can be the massive. The, the, this week it is the biggest news story in the world. Everything's falling apart, and then by Monday, you know what? People have moved on. And yes, it is. We saw a bit of that in Mean Girls. Now that's a very heightened version of it. But the idea that this big blowout and then people move on, and other things develop, and other people come along, and this had that kind of feeling of like, it felt real in that way that everyone's been through where like you screw up, you make a mistake at a party, you do something stupid and you feel apart from that, but your friends are your friends and yeah. that can come back. That element of he thinks, oh my God, that everything has, everything has fallen apart. Everything, this is just the most terrible thing that could ever happen. But you you get it in that that truth or dare sequence that like he doesn't say the terrible thing. I get the feeling that if he'd said what he said about cancer, then it would have been so much more terrible than it actually is. Mm. It would have taken a lot more unpicking and a lot more forgiveness. And it's crucial that he doesn't mm. say that. I think that, that, that's an internal model, but I think that's. That I feel a bit is like that's a scene I like in kind of his growth in that he's so inert at the start. And even though he's still a bit passive at that point and he does say, you know, I should have said something, you get a flash of there's something inside him that previously only yeah. drugs brought out him, basically. That's a good point. Um, was there something, have you seen the Rocky Horror? Is there something meta filmic that I've missed? Because I've never seen it. I don't know. Um, it's, it's, I suppose it's not, I wouldn't say the film itself. So, Rocky Horror, I have seen it. I have seen it live as well. I've seen it a few times. Um, the thing in Rocky Horror, it, ha- it does spring up a community around it. The- there are traditions in seeing it live, and there are there's the- there's a regular these kind of shows of people putting it on where they watch the movie and dress up, and there are things you do at certain points. These kind of tropes of watching these movies, um, and that does foster a community. I suppose so. Then that that community idea is what this is about, um, and also a lot of the movie itself is about overcoming repression so rocky horror um 
A, we're going to have to do that at some point, Sam, if you've not seen it, so we've got to cover that. Um, but it's about these sort of straight-laced couple overcoming their sort of traditional American 50s repression and embracing this you know, corsets and leather and lifestyle, the over-the-top Transylvanian lifestyle. Um, and Rocky is Rocky Horror, is, is a, a sort of a Frankenstein-esque creature made by Dr. Frankenfurter, um, which Charlie appears as in the movie. And the film is all about overcoming your oppression, your, your repression. So there is a, a sort of a link there, but mostly I think it's autobiographical. The book has, the author talked about how the book is semi-autobiographical. And it felt like one of those moments where like, this is something him and his friends did or something he, maybe him and friends wanted to do. But it feels like a moment where like, that was a thing that happened. So I put it in my movie. Um, it weirdly links to one of my favorite movies is Clerks. Um, and I remember reading a, a movie a review of Clerks early on that talked about there's a scene in which they play hockey on the roof. Um, and one of the reviewers is saying, like, this isn't there for any kind of deep text meaning. The director just likes hockey and wanted to play some of his movie. And this felt like it's glitzy, it's glamorous. It gave a chance for Charlie to stand up and be in these gold pants and dance on stage. And it's a way to bring in, I think, a sexual relationship or se- se- sexual, sexy um, element of Sam without it being forced and without it being sexual. Um, so I think it plick on a thing, but I just think it's a nice little bit of flavour for the movie. She is, like, it's interesting what you were saying there, but it, it would be very easy for someone, and, and someone that him um, dancing around wants to say here, but um, a character played by a figure like Emma Watson, who mm. is, like, who is, who has, focus of the male gaze on her for, for many reasons and has done for years. It'd be very easy for the film to sexualise her. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. Apart no. from apart from that scene, apart from the the Rocky Horror scene, when you get the feeling that she's kind of just playing the it's kind of like in Watson acting as Sam, acting as a character in Rocky Horror. Mm. It, it may be that that is that character who's been sexualized. It's not Sam. Sam herself, there's no sexualization of her character. No, and I think a lot of the Rocky Horror stuff is about owning sexuality. It's mm. about if you want to be sexy, be sexy, but you have a bit sexy for you, how you haven't got to be sexy for others. Um, and I can see how that kind of thing post Harry Potter and post the icky creepiness of general British media around her growing up, I can see where that would appeal in terms of owning that part of her own life. One other thing I want to talk about is the way that the film doesn't dwell on things. There are little, mm. I mean, there, there are sort of, when Charlie talks about his best friend committing suicide, or um, Sam talks about being abused in a minor, or Patrick kisses Charlie. I mean, these are all, I'm not, I don't want to compare them at all. They're all very different things, but they're things that could be seismic in any other context in another film. And the film I views not as window dressing, but as just things that are there and we can dwell mm. on them for a little bit and then we move on. And I really like that. I really like the way like take that that kiss as a as an example. Like there's not this huge thing of, oh my God, is Charlie by or is there some huge story here about how it's just the kiss of a really confused, really hurt young man and who just wants comfort. And I really like that. I really like the way that the film didn't sort of dwell on that. Like, 
quite a ghoulish way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, and that's where, I mean, we said we're a lot in this discussion, but the, the, suppose the, the realism of it and the joyous, the hopeful realism of it um, is that a lot of times with movies, it's, it's heightened because that's the nature of the cinema. It is, you know, movies told on 40 foot screens. It is heightened emotions. But things happen in our lives and they are terrible, awful things. Breakup happens. People die. But tomorrow happens as well. Mm. And you find joy in this. And, you know, I'm, I, I've probably talked about this previously um, on the show, but I can't remember. So I apologize if this is really bleak, guys. But when I was um, 19, my brother died. Uh, not out of the blue, but certainly unexpected. Um, he died. And that was a terrible time in my life. And it still remains a very sad thing for me. But the next day happened. And that happening didn't remove joy from my life. It didn't remove hope from my life. It was something you go through and something you deal with and you come out the other side of. And it will always be part of me. It will always be something that I have, but you carry on. And that's real and that's that's life. And this film captured that, as you said, where things happen. You kiss people, people die. There is horrific, horrific abuse um, of, of children in this movie. But you carry on, you heal and you get better and you get out. And I like the movie you say, it didn't dwell on his healing. Like he went into hospital and he got better. And that's brilliant. And you can do that. And that is a nice little, like, by not dwelling in diving into deepness of that and dwelling into every step of the journey, it makes it, it gives it hope. It gives it something to get out the other side of. So, Rob, do you have any, yeah, let's end on that happy note. Um, do you have any recommendations for us based on this? I do. One related, one entirely unrelated, but I will talk about why. So, my first recommendation is a film from 2011. Now, Sam said earlier that this was Emma Watson's first big film, first big role after leaving Harry Potter. And that is very much true, but it wasn't her first film. Her first film after she left Harry Potter was a film called My Week with Marilyn, which is a semi-autobiographical tale of a young filmmaker meeting Marilyn Monroe um, when she came over to the UK to film a, make a film. Emma Watson is a small supporting role in this. She plays Lucy, a wardrobe system. And she is very good in it. It's a very good film. Um, it stars Michelle Williams and Eddie Redmayne uh, amongst a wealth of British talent doing other things in it. But she, Emma Watson, is very good at this small role, kind of competing for the affections of uh, Eddie May Redmayne against Marilyn Monroe. So it's kind of an unfair fight. But she brings with it seriousness. She brings with it the same kind of allure is the wrong word, but charm that she brings to other roles. Um, and it's a film that people don't talk about a lot. It's not one that people discuss. Uh, Michelle Williams was very, very good in it. Um, and so she, it's worth checking out for that alone. My second recommendation is one that uh, Sal would have to trust me on because initially we weren't going to do Perks of Wallflower this week. We weren't going to touch this movie. We, we, we decided to remove it from this thing and put something else in. Um, and the film we were doing and do instead is a 2014 film, The Tribe, otherwise known as Plemia, which is a, I believe it's a Polish movie um, about a deaf uh, boy joining a high school for deaf kids. It is a very, very bleak, very, very harsh, very, very wrought movie. Um, and it is one that I've seen before and it has haunted me ever since. It is a very good film, but it is a long way from being a fun film. And so we thought we probably, given everything going on in the wider world right now, would pick a more interesting, more happy film maybe? Um, something a bit more hope to it than the tribe, which because which doesn't have any. 
Um, so it is not a film that I recommend in terms of making anyone happy. It is not the kind of joyous, hopeful realism that we're seeing in Wallflower, but it's very good. And if that's your thing, I, w- I recommend you check it out because it is a great movie, but we aren't going to be covering it. And so I thought it should get mentioned. I have to say I am completely on board with your decision to do this film instead this week, given mm. what's happening. And also really relieved because I really enjoyed this film. And I'm not sure. Well, it just just sounds very tough. It is. It, it, the, the intention, guys, just so you're aware, was that we were aware that our high school movie experience was very white, very Western and very standardized and this was an attempt to bring some other stories in but it was just the wrong time and a place um maybe down the line we will return to it when we are all happy and free but not sam yes cheer us up after my <laughs> two incredibly depressing stories um well the, the, the first one's cheering the second one isn't um my cheering one is a film that rob and i both enjoyed and know when it came out um, the link is Ezra Miller, who's Patrick in Pucks of Being a Wallflower, and he also had a role in the 2015 film Trainwreck, um, which was another Jad Apatow comedy. Um, there were several comedies that he wrote around the mid, I don't know what that decade's called, mid-20-teens. Um, so he wrote Knocked Up and then later the, the one about 40. And also Trainwreck. Um, and Trainwreck was very good. Judd Apatow wrote it, um, directed it. Amy Schumer is very good. Bill Hader is very good in it. Um, so, yes, I wanted to um, talk about that as having the Ezra Miller link. My second one, um, moving away from the uplifting to the... We return to the, the bleak tone of the end of this episode... Um, with Atonement from 2007. And the link is not a subject matter one, but more of um, a specific relation to the typewriter font used throughout this. Well, using the credits to link Charlie's letters that he writes, and he he writes them on the typewriter that Sam gives to him. Um, So my link there is the typewriter used in atonement it's the same sort of the same font that's used um i think around about this time there was a spate of this being used in 2007 in the five years before this um so yes that's my second recommendation atonement and given i teach atonement um i have watched this film several times to clarify, he teaches the film, not the general concept of atonement. I, te- I teach the Ian McEwan book Atonement, on which the film is based. Not the general idea of atoning for one's sins. <laughs> um, I have, as a result of teaching the McEwan book, seen the film several times. And it's one of those ones, it's not a great film, but is quite in- enjoyable is the wrong word, but it's quite visually pleasing at times. So, guys, we're back, um, bringing you the best of movies during the lockdown. We will be back in two weeks' time with our next episode. We are moving on to only four years ago now. So, the 2016 musical coming-of-age movie, Sing Street. Oh, I didn't know it was a musical. 
No, I did. <laughs> I'm joking. I did. <laughs> Till then, guys, you can find us both on Twitter at Pesci's Podcast. You find me at Life underscore Academic. And you can find me at Kaiju FM. And we'll see you back here in two weeks. Thank you.